Mic check one, check, 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 check. It's been a while. Have you checked the input? Yes, I just no, did. Nice. Buddy. Well done. Welcome yeah. back. Hello, everybody, uh, or um, konnichiwa, or uh, umgoya, or I think that was Cantonese. I forgot the hello in Mandarin. Um, but welcome back to welcome uh, to Panda Express. Welcome to Is that it? yeah, of course. Is that it? That's that's <laughs> what the food was like. It was totally like Panda <laughs> Express. Um, well, episode two thirty one. Halfway to four sixty two. We haven't done a halfway in a while. No, because you've been on the other side of the. Of the planet. Globe, yeah. The globe. Um, so, well, welcome back, Graham. Good to have you back. I feel like you've been gone for like three or four weeks, and it's really, it, it's been I, less than that, but it feels longer. When my when my <laughs> plane landed yesterday, I felt like I'd been gone for a year. Yeah, it really like, feels like a... I oh, think, has everything changed? It was only yeah, two yeah. and a half weeks, but... It, Where did all these rocket cars yeah. come from? <laughs> They're speaking a different language. Yeah. <laughs> They're wearing high pants, like in her. Yeah. Um... So, uh, yes, it is, I am back. Thank the last two episodes. I'm glad you guys, those were fun. We got some good feedback on the Dana Gould episode. Yeah, yeah, it was a really good episode. Which was great because he talked about a, a genre and an era of movies that you and I just aren't that well versed in. So it was really... It was nice to get a different, yeah. It was cool. And then um, doing the Robin Williams, um, you know, retrospective, I guess, yep. with, with, with it was what you call it, with Aaron was, was mm-hmm. really cool and, and got, got some good feedback from that. So thank you, you guys. Um, this week's guest was going to be Kira Saltanovich, but she's dumb. Here's how it goes booking comedians, guys. I sent an email a couple weeks ago, and I'm looking at the email that says, Hey, Kira, do you want to do September 9th at 11 a.m. at Mancini's house? I'm in. Mm-hmm. So I put it in my calendar. Sure, but then you also confirmed it, too, a couple uh, weeks ago. Well, that was when I... that was when, Yeah. That series, when she said... I said, great, you're in, like the right. next day. Mm. So there's a couple days of those emails going back and forth around the August 19th and 20th. So clearly, I needed to say then, like last week, hey, don't forget to see a movie. We'll see you Tuesday at 11 or whatever. Well, the thing about booking comedians is the day before they're supposed to appear somewhere, you actually have to go to their house, knock, and say, you're coming over tomorrow, right? Oh, is that today? Yeah. Yeah, fuck not. <laughs> the problem is, though... It's uh, even when you do confirm a couple of days in advance, sometimes they still uh, don't show. They hey, have you something dip comes shit. up. <laughs> you all have iPhones. When Here's what happened. You know what? I was, <laughs> Jimmy Dore several weeks ago goes, do you want to be on my podcast Tuesday, Thursday, September 11th? I said, yes. Yeah. I put it in my book. Mm-hmm. So I get a, a message on over the internet like a week ago. Goes, hey man, are we getting, when are we supposed to? I go, I had written down September 11th. Right. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> um, Are you and I the only guys that like run a goddamn business <laughs> where we write fucking shit down? Like, you, it makes you wonder sometimes. What it the does. Fuck? <laughs> and, uh, 
Now, here's the thing about Kira, though. It's hard to stay mad at Kira. She's adorable. Yeah, she is adorable. So she'll be back two weeks from now. Yeah, of course, she'll be back in two weeks. We're not going to ban her from the show. I'm calling her up, and I'm like, she's like, oh, I'm shooting this thing at Paul Dooley's house. I'm like, I don't care about Paul Dooley. Or his house. Or his fucking house. Uh and she's like, apologize, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. I said, that's fine. We are going to make fun of you on today's episode. Yes. She goes, all right, will you at least just tell everybody how skinny I look? Yeah. She uh, which, she looks very skinny, and she's me, adorable. She just makes me laugh. <laughs> she's such a she's such a jackass in the best sense. Um, but yeah, Kira, you look great. She's skinny. Yeah, yeah. She looked, you can't tell she's had kids. She's just, just amazing. Um, and she's dumb. Yeah. <laughs> Kira is like, if I had a Russian half-sister, mm-hmm. it would be Kira Sultanovich. She definitely could be one of my sisters. I think she could, too. She looks like me. She's loud and stupid. Um, <laughs> and she's ageless. And she's, she's like 60 years I know, old. She's 65, I think. She yeah. just turned 65. It's amazing. She, and she looks 23. Yeah, she has a picture in her um, attic that ages for her. So <laughs> she's really remarkable. She's a remarkable woman. Why the fuck do you get that? Where do you get the other, a, a picture that ages for her? Okay. Dorian Gray reference? No? Yeah, nice. No? Hello? Yeah. Oh, hello. Hello, Dorian Gray. Um, um, so we're looking forward to having um, Kira Sultanovich here in two weeks. In two weeks. Provided she doesn't... Now do remember, th- confirm with her. Oh, Christ. Um, every day for the every next two God, weeks. God, I got to just show up at her house. Yeah. With a packed lunch. Yeah. Send a note home with her kid from school every yeah. day. <laughs> Tell mommy she's got a podcast. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's... We got, uh, I can't imagine. we got a lot to talk about. Hopefully we'll be able to fit it all into one episode. I saw a shit ton of movies. Which surprises me. I thought, oh my God, the amount of traveling you're doing, the shows, there's no way you're going to get to any... Uh, uh, movie theaters. However, China has the most movie theaters per capita of anywhere in the world. They have the most people of any country, yeah. by the way. Um, well, the cool thing was... No, no relation. No, no It's a coincidence. No, not at all. Um, every town I was performing in, there was all these comics who w- wanted to show me around. And I, did a, I was a guest on several podcasts, which I'll get into all of it. So I was able mm-hmm. to see a bunch of movies, and I watched a bunch of films on the plane. Oh, great. Um, well, we've got a lot to talk about, but we want to get in. We haven't done some um, recent movie reviews in a while, so we want to get into that now. We're going to be talking about a lot of movies, and then we'll uh, talk about uh, China. We'll get into the whole trip. All right, so what What do you want to talk I'm sorry. I just flew in yesterday. Oh, I know. Yeah, I'm surprised you're even awake. And I slept for 10 hours yeah. last night, which was great. Um, let's talk about Sin City, because this is a movie. Uh, Neil, there's a review on the site. He actually really liked it. I was looking forward to seeing it. I didn't get a chance to see it yet. Um, what did you think of it? Uh, I, you know, it, 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 I liked it. It's, I liked the first one Mm -hmm. that came out, whatever, nine years ago or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, it was, you, let me put it this way. You go in, I I know what I'm getting with this movie. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm getting a cinematic version of the graphic novels. Right. And I love that. I think it's really cool and inventive. I like Robert Rodriguez and Frank Miller. Um, I, my only complaints I've ever had with Robert Rodriguez sometimes is he's, he, oh, he edits his own movies. I don't think he should. (laughs) I think he should hire an actual editor. Um, but because he's got Frank Miller's, um, script, you know, like, uh, and storyboards, really, it's really, there's, it's, it's, I mean, they're, they're doing the thing, you know, anytime, so many times, 
let me backtrack. In the 90s, <laughs> when comic book movies kept coming out and kept failing, it was so frustrating because I wanted to just go, the fucking storyboards are right there in yes. the goddamn comic. They have shot, it's a shot sequence. Mm-hmm. Like, and nobody would get that. Now we're in this era where the majority of the comic book movies are great. The golden age of it comic is, book it is, movies. It is the golden age of comic book movies. And this... When they did, did the first one, when these two guys got together and did the first one, they both got it, you know, because Robert Rodriguez is probably a fanboy, really. Of course, And yeah. Frank Miller is, you know, kind of crazy, but in the right way. And Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes. <laughs> I'm sure dealing with one is a, is a cakewalk. Um, but, like, so it was... It's it's everything you expect. It's film noir. It's it's the way they and the dialogue of those graphic novels. I love them. How would you compare it to the first one? It's as good as the first one. It's as good as the first. one. I mean, okay. I really like the first one. They're just you know exactly what you're getting. Mm-hmm. It's stylized. It's film noir. It's 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 bloody, but the blood's white. It's black and white right, blood. Right. You know, mm-hmm. so um, and I, I I just dig it like there's so much the the dialogue you know that like she was a dame to kill for you know all that. All How did Eva Green do? She was great. Yeah, man, yeah. she was great. She never phones it in. It doesn't matter what no. she's doing. That's and she so great about is, her. This is the first movie where I mean I've always been like okay she's attractive but this movie man you know the way they shot it and the way she played it and. You know, there's also, um, there's also uh, a lot of nude scenes with her. Mm-hmm. You know, she's got an amazing body, and so she was really good in this. I, I think she she was great in Three Hundred: Rise of an Empire. Yeah, yeah. She she's one of these actresses who just brings sort of an intensity to it that. Um, she doesn't treat it like a genre movie. She treats it like um, a drama. That's what I really like about her. She she never phones it in. It doesn't matter how silly, ridiculous the the ca- character may actually be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she treats it very seriously, and I think that comes through in her performance. And everyone in it, you know, hashtag JGL storyline is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, Josh Brolin is good. Jessica Alba, Mickey, Ro- like everybody, everybody in it. It's everyone. It's all the gang is back. Powers Booth plays mm-hmm. such a great villain, villain creep, fuck. You know, like he he's Ray Liotta's got. A I sm- think Clive Owen's the only one that didn't come back. Right? Yeah, he's the only one that didn't come back. Um, mainly because his, I don't think his character was in this graphic novel. It's been a while since I read these, but I don't think that character is in this. I don't novel. remember because I think uh, it might be a little bit of a mishmash of a couple of them. Right. I don't think it's specifically just that one. Um, but it was, uh, uh, you know, it's it, if you like the first one, you'll like this one. Okay, cool. and you know what? To be honest, now granted, it's been in the it's been in the states for a while, but I think it had just been. I saw it in Hong Kong um, at this kind of very cool old theater. It's a movie where you gotta see this on the big screen. Right, right. Like, please, please. It it was, it's it's cinematic beauty. 
Right. And you got to see it on the big mm-hmm. screen. I don't care how nice your home theater system is. Right. This, you got to go in a theater and shut your phone off and, and really get taken into that world. And, and it's, I, 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 I really liked it. So cool. Check it out. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, Zero Theorem. This is the new Terry Gilliam film. And as usual with Terry Gilliam movies, uh, the distribution gets fucked up. I don't know. You would think at some point he would have a staff member uh, at Terry Gilliam Inc. saying, all right, this time, make sure my distribution doesn't get fucked up. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it didn't happen. Um, Do you it, think it's because, because his movies are just so out there that Hollywood just can't figure out what to do? And now that we're in this new era of multiple platform releasing that they just like um uh i don't know vod and then theaters i I really don't know that's a great question because his movies have always been basically outliers and but you know he has a very rabid fan base that do um want to see his films um but they do even a smaller distributor and this is on us with a smaller distributor even they don't know what to do with it but what i find fascinating is like well you bought it you know, why would you, you know, why would you buy it and then agree to distribute it and then fuck up your own distribution of the film that you paid for? Let me ask you this question, though, and I'm not, I'm not defending the distributors. And I know mm-hmm. you said you read online Terry Gilliam was like mad. Yeah. Because they're doing VOD and then it's going a minimum, like... N- yeah, it's, it's, it's on VOD. Uh, I think it might still be on VOD right now, but then it's not going theatrical for like a couple months. Here's the thing, though. Let me ask you this question, mm-hmm. just as a general thing. Mm-hmm. In this day and age, though, isn't it kind of anything can work? Like, don't you think it, that this could happen? And I don't have an example at the top of my head, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there is one, where you go VOD, buzz is created, and then it goes theater, and you could do well in the theaters. Like, don't you think that's a, that's a realistic possibility now? I think that's a noble experiment. I don't think that's what happened here. <laughs> I think that's uh, you raise you you bring up a good point. The truth is, no one really knows. Sure, you know what, and um, could a type of movie um, really benefit from that type of on-demand buzz and then get a theatrical release? Who knows? It's possible. That's not what happened here. You could tell because here, here's why I bring this up: is is somebody I kind of forget which movie now they released the soundtrack first. And created a buzz going into the film. God, I was blanking my mind. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I got such jet laggy brain. <laughs> but I was just talking about this while I was in China with someone about a movie. They released the soundtrack first. And everyone was like, you're crazy. You do it second. But it was like, no. The soundtrack generates a buzz for the generates film. Generates a buzz for the film. So don't Was it a th- biopic or something? Mm, something like that. Okay. Something like that. Um, now, because I remember when Upstream Color came out um it was literally it was video on demand for one day which was again an experiment but a, a very failed one it's like really okay well if i don't see your movie on demand on friday i can't watch it on saturday that's ridiculous you've made it now impossible for me to see your movie mm-hmm. so this movie um the distribution got fucked up now l- let me talk about this movie for a minute but first of all i just want to say uh, I'm a huge Terry Gilliam fan. It's probably influenced me as a filmmaker. And also, I've loved his movies for years and years and years. I think Brazil was probably one of the best movies I've ever seen. And uh, um, the fact that there's so many different versions of it and the stories behind Brazil and the release, it's f- absolutely fascinating. So 
I went to do this. Um, he's had a couple misfires, and he's had a couple of those Tim Burtony type <laughs> misfires where it's like, I don't. Why is he even directing this? This makes no sense. So I went in this with a little like cautious optimism, and I will say Zero Theorem. It doesn't really quite hit the mark, but I will say it has so many of those Terry Gilliam moments that make you so uncomfortable because they're either commentary or prophetic, but also they're so laugh out loud funny that you can't help but be entertained in a way that only Terry Gilliam can entertain you. So it misses the mark, but it's probably one of the best movies he's made in a long time. And it's one of those movies that even like the premise is so out there. Christoph Waltz plays basically a computer programmer and he gets hired by the company, you know, the big shadowy corporation company and to find out, to prove what the zero theorem is. And the zero theorem is that everything in the universe adds up to nothing. And the big metaphors of that are like everything we do, what does it matter that none of this matters? It goes into the philosophy of that, which is really cool and really interesting. Um, Christoph Waltz is a little off-putting. He's bald and, uh, naked in a fair amount of scenes. Oh, so, uh, uh, <laughs> and he gets involved with a prostitute that's considerably younger than him. So that also makes it a little more uncomfortable. Um, but also, you have all these weird elements okay. kind of put together with uh, a Terry Gilliam film, but it's what you expect. The problem is, at the end of the day, most Terry Gilliam films you have to watch again just to kind of get everything that he's trying to put in and say out of them. Um, the problem with this film is as it progresses, it gets a little more and more um, inaccessible where you're not really sure what the point is or where it's going or like, I don't know what I'm supposed to get out of this. It kind of meanders off a little bit. Like you can't really, um, really latch on to that one thing like most Terry Gilliam films have, especially with uh, Brazil. So you also have a protagonist, Christoph Waltz, who he's the thing about Christoph Waltz as an actor is he plays such a great villain and he's so off-putting. Right. Everything from his look to his demeanor to his, um, even his accent, when you put that package together, it's difficult to see him as like a put upon every man. Like, it's right. hard to watch that. Like, I think the biggest flaw with this film was the casting. Like, everything was a little off. Like, oh, I wouldn't put that person in that role. I wouldn't put that person in this oh, role. Right. And one of the things that was really off-putting is that um, you have so many different um, actors, all with different accents, all trying to talk to each other at the same time. And that was, like, really weird. I don't remember. It was like watching a scene, like, you know, when movies have scenes at the United Nations and everyone's talking in a different accent. It felt like that, but like a regular conversation. So it was, you got Christoph Waltz's accent. You've got um, one of the Harry Potter actors talking this really thick British accent. Then you have... um, the call girl who is also is like a European accent. And then you have uh, Matt Damon and a son with American accents. So you put all these together and it's, it's difficult to kind of, sometimes you adjust to one accent and then you get thrown off by the other. It's really odd. It's, it's weird, but I will say Matt Damon as the owner of this corporation is absolutely hysterical. He is so perfectly cast. He's the one that I think they really got right. And he is so great in this. And the problem, again, is that he's not in it enough. You see him a little bit. It's almost like a cameo. It's like he's in a couple of scenes, but you're like, oh my God, I want to see more of him. I want to see him interact with Christoph Waltz. And and it really... uh, 
it doesn't all come together, but again, it, it's a really interesting film. It's beautifully shot. It's got some great ideas. It just doesn't necessarily come together as a whole. One of the other problems with this movie is it feels a little dated, which is a really interesting thing to say that a movie that came out this year mm-hmm. with um, a fair amount of special effects, it's almost like here's a vision of the future that I thought of 20 years ago. Right. Like, because a lot of this stuff is not only has come to pass, we've already seen the commentary on mm-hmm. it. You know, the ads everywhere and everything. There's screens everywhere and corporations are taking over everything. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we've kind of seen all that. So it's definitely worth a, uh, if you're a Terry Gilliam fan, it's definitely worth a view. It's just keep your expectations um, metered <laughs> uh, because it is a it's a good film it's not a great film but if you're a Terry Gilliam fan you will enjoy it and see it not necessarily for the whole but for those moments um, that only Terry Gilliam can give you that those moments of um, they're absolutely hilarious but they're layered with a sadness and also a um, a social commentary and also a commentary on technology and society so Cool. Um, well, I got to watch finally on the plane back from uh, China was fault, The Fault in Our Stars. Now, did you read the book? No. Um, and I wish I had read the book. It, this is a great film. It is. This is, a, this is mm-hmm. like, it's, it's, it's like everything that, that makes a good movie. Wow. Um, because... The book I know is critically acclaimed and all that stuff. Sure. So adapting a book is so, as we talked about on the show, that's not yeah. an easy thing to do. No. Um, and uh, I think the two, uh, this guy Scott uh, Neustatter and Michael Weber are the two that, that ad- adapted the, um, the, the, the Josh or John Green book. And it's directed by Josh Boone, who I'm looking him up on IMDb right now. Um, you know, hasn't done a lot either. <laughs> so he he had done Stuck in Love, you know, um, which was uh, with Greg Kinnear and Jennifer Conley, um, which was, you know, I think was one of these movies that just did okay. It wasn't some breakout thing. So you've got this young director. Um, well, you know, he's in his 30s or whatever, but, uh, and these two young actors, uh, Shailene Woodley, Yes. Who, you know... The Descendants. The Descendants. She was great in The Descendants. And this new kid, Ansel Elgort. Mm-hmm. And of course, Divergent's her big thing now. Yeah, Divergent was her big thing. He was in Divergent. Um, oh, they were both in Divergent? Yeah. Oh. No, no, was she in Divergent? She was. Yeah, he was in Divergent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, He had, okay. he had a small part in Oh, wow, Divergent. okay. Um, so, uh, the, you know, it's mainly her movie because it's her story. Um, and the, basically the, if you don't know anything about this, it's, it's two kids she's like 17 and he's like 18 or 19 and they meet in a cancer support group. Right. Mm -hmm. And it is that I'm blanking on the, the hashtag JGL Seth Rogen cancer movie, um, that came out like a year or so ago. Oh, this is driving me crazy. Oh, oh. Everyone's yelling. Yeah. (laughs) I know which one you're talking about. Um, yeah, well, that, 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 um, where is it? I'm looking it up right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right, jet lag. Oh, I don't have a jet lag excuse. I can't remember it either. Yeah. 50 yeah. <laughs> 50. Yeah. 50 I almost said half and half. 
Well, you like the creamer. Been better yeah. <laughs> than jet laggy ramblings. Um, so it 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 it. it it reminded me of 50-50 in the sense that the thing I liked about 50-50 was it showed like how clumsy and messy dealing with this is going to be. Mm. You know, I think oftentimes the, the cancer theme is dealt with in movies, you know, and the the person who's sick is just, you know, they they like every sunset and they, right, they were right. so brave until the end and all this mm. stuff. And it's like, no, they're human. They're like, what the fuck? Like, this mm. is bullshit. And the family doesn't know how to deal with it because the family's flipping out. And 50-50, you know, really dealt with that in a cool sort of these two friends and how mm. two friends would deal with it. Whereas uh, the fault is like, um, is, you know, it's a teenage girl mm-hmm. who now has to walk around with the air tube. With an air tank, she's got to. Mm-hmm. She always has this, basically, this like carry on mm-hmm. with an air with tubes out of her nose and a tank, and what that means. And walking up the stairs, she's got to like stop for a second, mm-hmm. and and you know her mom, played by Laura Dern. Laura Dern's great in this. Is you know just trying like trying so hard to like give her daughter everything her daughter wants, and she's in the you know like. My daughter could die at any moment. You're like, that's there. And and the sense of humor that these teenage kids have, and this is all really solid writing, is, you know, how they joke about it, you know? And, you know, one kid lost an eye to cancer and it's probably going to lose another one. And then one kid, you know, the, the guy she falls in love with has a, has a prosthetic limb. He used to be a big athlete and and how it's handled and it is so beautiful and it's a love story between these two kids mm-hmm. and and how they cope with with this cancer and how everyone around them is trying to cope with it and it's just you know I, I watched it, it was in the, I couldn't sleep on the plane so it was, the whole plane was sleeping thank God because I was just crying. <laughs> it, you know, it is it is sad but in a in a in a very beautiful mm-hmm. way and it's just um you know it it came out in the states in June so I don't know if it's still in a theater anywhere but if you can Were you in business class? Yeah, I was in yeah. business class. I got upgraded. <laughs> I get so afford- you so you put up the cry partition? Yeah, yeah I yeah. just well, <laughs> I already don't have to look at those people yeah. in, in coach, those animals in coach. I don't know what they're doing back there, probably drinking their own urine or whatever happens yeah, back there. sharing one meal. Yeah, I don't know, fighting, cannibalism. I think there might have been a coup yeah. on my flight, but I don't know, as long as it doesn't get in the way of the dessert cart, I frankly don't give a shit. <laughs> so... Um, uh, yeah, so it was, it, was, it was amazing. I actually... I, couldn't sleep, so I wrote a review, which I know is shocker. I haven't written a review on the site in quite I some know, time. Me either. I know. Sorry, guys. We're so we try to write more. We're so busy, but I there's a lot of stuff we have planned to do more of. Yes. And uh, once the movie gets to uh, the editors in October, a fair amount of stuff will open uh, up I for think us. Time's gonna open up. For yeah, us. and the festival will be over. <laughs> <laughs> I think time for like sleep and having a life. Yeah, I think those things yeah. will open up. October will be. Yeah, we're but looking forward to October. The fault in our stars. Um, um, yeah, I would definitely watch this movie. It's 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 well written, it's well directed, and it's really well. And and also, it's like check out these young actors that are really good, you know. Oh, and um, Willem Dafoe, shithead, 
who um, <laughs> uh, has has a small has two small scenes in it is mm-hmm. great. <laughs> it's great. So um, yeah, check it out, and 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 I'll post my review on it. Oh, very cool. Uh, well, I saw the movie uh, Boyhood. Oh, and I've heard many. You know what? I um, the thing about this movie is I don't want to oversell it because I want everyone to go see it and just enjoy it. But at the risk of overselling it, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Really? <laughs> yeah. It's um, an unbelievable experience. It's two hours and 40 minutes long. Richard Linkletter. And, and I didn't look at my watch once. What? Like it was, and that's the kind of thing, like after two hours, I'm like, oh, where's, where's this movie going? And mm-hmm. it's... It's truly un- an unbelievable movie-going experience because it does something that no other film has done in history. Um, we've watched, uh, over the span of 10 years, this narrative film has been shot. So we watch these kids grow up. Now, everyone's kind of saying that, you know, it, it is the central character, the boy. Um, you see him kind of grow from eight years old to, um, you know, college. But... It's also his sister, and you see her grow up, and you see um, Patricia Arquette and even Ethan Hawke. You see them change. You see what happens to a family in the span of 10 years, but it's not a documentary. Like, people talk about, like, the 7-Up documentaries, which right. are amazing, but this is narrative, and this is a story, and so this he is put shot together. This while, he shot this narrative with this actor as it's growing up. Over the span of 10 years, and these were kids. These were not professional actors. There were so many things that could have gone wrong with this movie. What if in five years the kids couldn't act? What if it's unbelievable um, the chances he took and how it, how it paid off? The other thing that could have happened is this movie could have come off as gimmicky. Right. It's like, okay, all right, well, here's another couple years. Now we're going to see the kids are older. And Richard Linkletter is such an amazing and careful filmmaker that it never feels contrived or gimmicky at all. It feels like everything flows so naturally and organically from the writing to the directing to actually seeing these children grow up in front of your eyes. Um, It's unbelievable. It's like you're getting to watch um, an intimate portrait of a family grow up and what they have to deal with from divorce to alcoholism to changing schools from the small moments to the large but in Richard Linkletter's hands everything is a small moment but it feels much bigger mm-hmm. that's what's so um amazing about his filmmaking and he's you see this in all of his other movies too he takes the small and makes it um large and well that's like the the before <clears throat> movies yeah it's like, exactly like that yeah that? i mean nobody they, nobody they, it's funny they always <clears throat> like in the interviews like when that came when before midnight the last one <clears throat> came out last year they kept talking about their you know they're doing a franchise you know what yeah, i mean it's, yeah. the third, it's the third trilogy in a franchise yeah. but who what other filmmaker has no one's even attempted this no no and uh like i said the actors are all fantastic the writing is amazing and the thing that's really resonates with this film is whether you're um, younger, whether you're older, whether you have kids or not, it doesn't matter. You will find something that will grab onto you and that, and that you're going to remember. Like, I'm going to remember this movie for the rest of my life. I mean, it's, it's an amazing film because true art, it really reflects life. And true art imitates life. We've heard that many times before. But truly amazing art imitates and reflects your life. And you could see yourself uh, in this right, film yeah. mm-hmm. uh, as it's um, un, you know unfolding in front of you. Like there are moments in that 
movie where you watch it and go, oh, I remember, kind of remember that from my childhood, or I remember, you know, something like that. I remember when my brother or sister would fight or something like that. Then as the movie progresses, you're like, well, now that I'm, you know, a parent, I remember when my kids were like that, or I remembered um, being a parent and being in that position and feeling that way as a parent or as a kid, an adolescent, or as a kid going into college, I felt the way they're feeling too. It's, it's, you're going to relate to it on a very personal level, this film. Like I said, I don't want to, uh, I don't want to oversell it, but it is an amazing filmmaking experience. And the kind of the opposite of Sin City, where it's such an intimate, um, personal piece that you don't necessarily have to see it in the theater at all. In fact, it might be a better movie to see at home where you know you're you're in your own space and you're actually it's almost like you're you're being invited into the lives of this family um what the, and again this is the distribution models i'm thinking this is the perfect movie that would benefit from a vod and a um simultaneous theatrical release right. because it's such an intimate small and personal movie but on a weird it's it's a very weird juxtaposition it's a small uh personal movie but on a grand scale <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah yeah i like so that. so it's a um it, it's like i said it's something you've never seen before and um it, it's again the pacing is deliberate um it washes over you it's you get a um a really great portrait of this family and here's the other thing i really love about richard linkletter he never, as a filmmaker, he never talks down to you as an, as an audience member. Right. Like, it could have easily been, uh, and I'm sure he got these notes, and he probably said no. Um, there's no blackouts. There's no transitions of, like, five years later or one year later. He trusts you to make that um, jump with him on your own. Every uh, little part of the, um, the family's life ends. It's just a cut. And when you cut to the next scene, you know that time has passed mm-hmm. because he's so... Uh, deft at, at editing too, uh, you know, and the the editors was great, the directing is great, so you know there's like little visual clues that say here's the end of this part of the story, here's the beginning of it without the clunky voiceover or right. fade outs or and he cards. Trusts, and he trusts that you're going to be paying attention to yes. the, the shot composition, showing the whatever the newspaper with the new yes. date on it. Or he expects the... you to meet him halfway, yeah, and yeah. you do, and you're willing to do it. Right. So it's an amazing experience. It's an amazing film, and I was almost spent at the end of it because I felt like I was like with this family for ten years. Oh and my watched, god! And watched That's... like the uh, right. watched them uh, grow up and you know see what they went through. Awesome. Okay, well, let's go into my whole China tour because yes. there's two there's a Hong Kong and a Chinese movie that I saw there, but we'll go I'll kind of walk you through the whole trip. First, um I, you know, the the flights to Hong Kong were all going through uh Tokyo. So, oh, I yeah. stopped there and had a uh, a nice uh, earbuds Tokyo Drift reunion dinner. With- Unbelievably jealous of that by the way. I was thinking, <laughs> is there a way I could just fly out to Tokyo for that like just for that dinner and then come back? <laughs> If we were cash flush with as a company, I would have done that. Oh yeah, yeah, I totally would have done that. Honestly, I'm like, all right, Graham, have fun in Hong Kong. Yeah. I just I'm here in Japan for a couple of days, just to have hanging dinner. out with the uh, Sinai and Andy and <laughs> uh, and Andrea. Yeah, it was it was so cool because, um, and I would have bought the Prince Park Hotel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I couldn't stay there. 
a little too pricey this time. We got so we lucky We got to get a really time. good deal, yeah. I was staying, oh my God, I was staying at this hotel and I was like, God, it was like 80, 90 bucks a night, yeah. centrally located. It was, I think it was in Shinagawa. Yeah. Like, oh, this is awesome. It is, is one of those Japanese, it wasn't a pod. Right. It wasn't that small, but it was... A cube. It was a cube, man. <laughs> you walk in and it's, you know... 15 feet by five feet right <laughs> was the so it was more of a hallway it was a hallway yeah. it was a nice walk-in hallway <laughs> closet and um with a little single bed and a little shower and a bathroom and all and in the same room all in the it was very small um no little real window right. and i was like well that's cool this is this was a, this is a, but it was it was that was a cool experience um and then we all had dinner at this very Japanese place, you know, where you take your shoes off. Oh, and, yeah. That was oh, so good last good time. Meal. Was it as good as the last time? Yeah, it was yeah. great. Oh, man. It was great. We didn't follow it up with karaoke like we did last <laughs> time. But it was, it was really cool to see those guys. And and How long were you in uh, Tokyo for? I was in Tokyo just for about three days. Uh, three days. Okay. So And then Sanai took me to the uh, this museum that had an Edo exhibit about the Edo period of mm. Japan, which was, oh, man, if you guys are there, it's really cool. It has these models and it's, it's really, that's the, the end of the samurai era, basically. Uh, the last samurai movie kind of is about that era, sort mm -hmm. of late 1800s and before they start modernizing. And then they change the name of Edo to Tokyo. Right. Um, so that was really cool. And then went to this, uh, a friend of mine took me to a, this Japanese like celebration, this, where they shoot fireworks off for like an hour down by this river and you wear like everyone's wearing kimonos and they got me one. So I was wearing, well, not a, like the male version of the kimono or whatever. And, uh, that was really cool. A momono. A momono. Yeah. A manono. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, so I'm wearing a momono. Um, and that was cool. Uh, Sunday went back to Kamakura and, and, uh, they took me surfing um, so I was I went surfing in Japan. Wow! And, uh, and did you then, see the Buddha again? I didn't get a chance to see the Buddha, but went to another temple that I didn't mm. get to see last time. So and Kamakura, we were like actually on the beach. Oh wow! It was like surf shops and mm. had lunch overlooking the water. It was just like <laughs> a Japanese surf town, man. It was really, it was a really cool experience. And then went to Hong Kong, the actual Hong Kong, which man is a Hong Kong is a fantastic city, mm -hmm. and. The entire time, I was like, "Oh, I've seen there's a, I've seen a car Jackie Chan did a car chase on like like Super Cop or whatever." <laughs> like I'm just I'm thinking about all that in the John Woo movies. Um, Hong Kong is just fantastic. It you know it's 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 such a unique city in the sense that obviously it was an English colony for 150 years, mm -hmm. so it has that influence in it. And then now it's the hub of well, I'm sure it has been for a while, but it's like the hub of finance in Asia, like banking. And and finance is all there, and it's a it's a massive city. It's beautiful. It's right, you know, Hong Kong Island, and then it's in this harbor. I was staying in Kowloon for part of it, um, and you know, Michael Dorsher, who who runs Comedy HK, they got a cool little scene going on there. It was really there was a lot of really really good uh, young comics. Um, you know, they don't have there is one full time comedy club. I didn't work it. Because a different guy owns it, I think called Takeout Comedy. But then did we, you leave it? Did it? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I definitely hashtag left it. Um, but we did 
you know, they set up in all these like cool lounges and at some nice hotels and stuff. And they got a really good like open mic there that I performed at. And, uh, it was really cool. And there was a lot of a mix of expats and actual people from Hong Kong, you know, people mm-hmm. who live in Hong Kong. It was kind of, it was, it was interesting having done the Rick Myers episode mm-hmm. and having him kind of tell us about the politics of that and how, you know, the Chinese government is kind of pressuring um, Hong Kong and how people in Hong Kong are like, I'm not Chinese. I'm from Hong Kong. And they say they're either a Hong Konger or a honky. <laughs> <laughs> this girl says, he goes, I'm a honky. I was like, Oh, that's great. Um, and so that was a really cool experience. Um, and we saw, I did a podcast there and I forget the name of it. I don't know if they've posted it yet. If they post it, I will let them know. But these, these guys do a film podcast and I saw, Michael Dorsher is like, who put the whole tour together and he runs Comedy HK. He was like, well, you should go see, this is the movie we'll talk about, this movie called Temporary Family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it is... Temporary Family. Yeah. (laughs) Poor Ari. Here it is. Uh, Sammy Sammy Chung and uh, and Nick Chung. Sammy Chang, I think, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably not pronouncing your name correctly. Um, she's, uh, she was an actress. She was in the movie Internal Affairs. Um, and, uh, she, I think has also been a singer and stuff like that, but it it was this room. It was a, it was a Hong Kong romantic comedy and it very much was a Hong Kong film because it was about the, the real estate market there. And this guy, uh, is a real estate salesman or whatever, and they're kind of looked down, but they're like, you want, there's certain areas where they're like, come out to you and they hard sell you and try to get you to buy flats. Cause that's the whole thing in Hong Kong. You got to buy a flat. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't rent. Well, you can, but the goal is to buy. Right. Like everyone, okay. everyone's got to buy. Everyone's got to buy. So the movie was sort of about that. And these, he, he buy, there's this whole speculative market and he, he's, he's like, we'll buy this property. It's way too expensive. All these four people kind of intersect with each other. His stepson, his stepdaughter, and this young guy that he works with, and then this woman who's newly divorced. Um, and it's this very expensive property at the top of the hill on Hong Kong. That now, how how were you able to understand it? Was it subtitled? This was all subtitled. Okay. Um, and so I was getting the jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, I was laughing along with the crowd. Some of the jokes I didn't get because they were like joke specific. Cultural. Well, they were like Hong Kong jokes. Oh, got it. About okay. it would be like a movie that was all about life in L.A. Right, right. And if you didn't live here, you might not get all the jokes. Right. Um, so it had a lot of stuff like that in it. Um, the first twenty minutes of the movie were really. No one can drive around here when it rains. Yeah, in Hong yeah. Kong. yeah. Right. Exactly. It's that. It's that stuff. Like this mm-hmm. one intersection where the traffic's really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they buy this this like five million dollar property and they're going to flip it. And then right when they buy it, a law is passed. That actually, a law that actually was passed about how foreigners can't. There's a fifty percent ta- fee, an additional fee, if a foreigner buys a property. Because what what happens is, you buy a property, and then someone mainly from from mainland China, a wealthy business guy from mainland China, comes and buys it, and you sell and make a profit. So that they couldn't do that. So then they all had to live together in this house, mm-hmm. and the hijinks ensue. Right. <laughs> um, but it's funny, rom coms across the world are usually pretty not, they're bad. Mm-hmm. Like, this film had funny moments, but then it, it did that thing that, that we've talked about on this show. When a comedy tries to do 
It didn't know what it wanted. Right. It puts this heavy storyline in there with the the stepdaughter is does you know she's like a messenger she doesn't have anywhere to go and she's running she gets fired and she might have to start what they call a date what anyway being a prostitute mm-hmm. which is a reality there and that just sort of is like they throw that into the movie and then kind of like yeah just sort of half deal with it and now is it the kind of thing where it's uh part of the like uh the culture where the prostitutes then it's to because it's such an international city <laughs> It's like there's certain, like, the prostitutes that, okay, well, you know, serves the businessmen that come in or whatever, or is it like... Well, yeah, yeah, sure, there's high-end ones or whatever, right. but this guy, your stepdaughter is about to be... is, <laughs> And one the one woman is, like, freaking out, and the other guy, it, it just, they didn't... It didn't mesh. It didn't mesh, and they didn't right. deal with it correctly. Mm-hmm. And it's like... And then they would do these wacky... They'd always have to clean up the apartment to get it ready to look to show for somebody. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, someone's coming right now. We got to clean up. They did that like two or three times. <laughs> Are you guys this stupid? Should be spotless. That you wouldn't keep it clean? <laughs> like you're that messy? I mean, it was just kind of... So there's moments in it. And I kept saying, I wish I could have made this film because it was trying to also be a sort of a love letter to how unique and cool Hong Kong is. Mm -hmm. But they just kept trying to jam in all these other things. And they tried to show in some political thing about the the banking and the, or or the, the, the real estate market. And then the politics with mainland China, they kept trying to like shoehorn in all these ideas. You're like, eh. Um, But it was interesting to go. It was a nice theater in a mall and it's all assigned seats at, at every theater there. Um, and I like that. It's real comfortable. By the government. By the government, yeah. <laughs> it was real comfortable and all that stuff. But I want to address the government thing because Hong Kong, you don't feel mainland China. You don't feel a right. communist government there at all. But then we did a show in, in Guangzhou, which is a two-hour train ride north. Mm. Into mainland China, you got to get your passport stamped. It's a whole separate thing. Um, and it was- So you get your passport stamped again, even though you're already in China. Well, Hong Kong is different. Hong Kong, sure, sure. It's different. In in 2047, they gave 50 years. Mm-hmm. So it turned over in 1997, but they st- the Chinese government said, we've got 50 years before Hong Kong is its own thing. Right now, it's sort of this separate but equal right. thing. It has its own currency. Um, you know what I mean? It has its own government, um, but they've got 50 years before they're going to become China. So, um, so at the end of 50 years, they become part of China. They will just be a city in China. A city in China. But as of right now... They're like a separate country that's a Chinese territory. So it would, it's a little complicated. Yeah, it's, it's, it would be kind of like... Well, it's like what we did with Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Hawaii was just a territory, like Guam. It was like Guam right. or Puerto Rico. and then Alaska. We, yeah, and then we made it a state. Mm. So... It's kind of like that, but it is very complicated. There was protests in Hong Kong mm. ag- against certain things that the, Han- the the Chinese government is doing. So then I'm sure we, they don't want to be part of. No, yeah, there's yeah. many they don't want to. Mm. Um, uh, but it's inevitable, right? <laughs> um, so uh, so we went to Guangzhou, and I was like, I didn't know what I was going to expect because I was like, you know, my experience with a communist country is living in Germany. We lived in Munich, Germany, as a child, and then we visited. Berlin, mm-hmm. and you had to drive through East Germany, 
the checkpoints. Yeah, right? and then you got to West Berlin, but I remember even as a kid in West Berlin, seeing the Berlin Wall with the guard towers, yeah, yeah. and East Berlin was dark and gray, and there's mm. soldiers and all this stuff. So, you know, China opened its doors in like 1979, so they've been, I didn't know what to expect. I'm like, am I going to feel this like communist? Right. No, you don't. You really don't. I mean, you see certain government buildings, and there's, you know, you're like, oh, that's... You know, that's a military, insta- you know, the big red star. And right. you kind of see that stuff. And they were very much like, Graham, you get, when you're performing in mainland China, there's the three T's you can't talk about. Tiananmen Square, Tibet, and Taiwan. Oh, interesting. Because Taiwan is another, like, people in Taiwan are like, we're not part of China. And a lot of people in China are like, no, no, Taiwan is part of us. Um and Tiananmen Square, you know... The uh, student protest. The student protest, June 4th, 1989. Like, you can't talk about that at all. Dorsher was telling me, I think the date, you know, it's 6489 is this sort of like hashtag battle cry, or that's the number. Mm-hmm. And he told me one day recently, the Chinese stock market ended, the number was 6489, and the government wiped it out. Like, they that number... Disappeared. Disappeared for that day. That day's trading didn't end in sixty four eighty nine. You know, um, so and you know, I was a guest on several podcasts that were. I was a guest on two podcasts that were recorded in Shanghai, and they were both just like, "Don't mention that." Or if you do, we got to edit that out. Right. Like you can't be there and be like, "Hey, man, give Tibet back to the Dalai Lama." Like you can't. Yeah. You can't. You can't say that. Mm-hmm. So. Um, when we went and did the show in Guangzhou, it was all American expats um, who were fans, many of whom were fans of this podcast. It was, it was this Irish pub, and it was really cool. It's funny because like Twitter and Facebook are blocked. But right, they, all social media. But, and Google, you said, too. Yeah, but everyone's got a VPN and circumvents it. Right. So they all just pay this monthly service to say, oh, I'm using internet. And it looks like they're getting internet from the U.S. Mm-hmm. So they all... <laughs> it's a workaround. Yeah, everyone works around. And everyone was like, eh, you know, in China, if you got the money, you can... Get whatever you want. You can get whatever you want. <laughs> um, so that show in Guangzhou was really, was really cool. Um, and the response from people... I, it was kind of like doing shows for the military in the Middle East. They were just like, oh my God, I can't believe you came all this way to do a show. It was such mm-hmm. a cool experience. Um, and... Uh, and then, so I was in Hong Kong for about five or six nights. And one of those nights we went up to Guangzhou and then I flew to Beijing. Beijing is, is very different. It's the capital. It's an older city. You could see more of the government influence well, there, yeah, right? Yeah, you see that. You see the government buildings, you see the soldiers and stuff like that. But it still felt like... Um, it sort of just felt like, I mean, having, I visited the the Forbidden Palace, which was amazing, and the Great Wall of China, which was, I posted photos, I'll post more. It was such a cool experience. And uh, Nigel, too, who sets up the comedy there in Comedy Beijing, um, that's a newer scene, but there's they're, they're getting more shows around. But that's almost felt like it was all American expats in Beijing. The comedians, like in Hong Kong and in Shanghai, you had some comics that were either from Hong Kong or Chinese right. comics in mm-hmm. Shanghai. There's no, there's no comics that live in Beijing. Well, I, maybe I didn't meet them, mm-hmm. but the mo- majority of the comics that I met were all Americans. Got it. And mm-hmm. majority of the people at the show were American. 
Um, but Beijing is a really cool city, and Nigel took me around, and we rode our bikes everywhere because Beijing is still like very bike heavy, right? Like huge bike lanes. But then you know you're just riding your bike in China, and it's just a trip. There's just a guy in a truck going in reverse down the middle of the bike lane. No one's freaking out or yelling. <laughs> you just everything just flows. Just don't get hit. Just don't get hit. Just get out of the way, man. <laughs> um, and uh, and the food in Beijing was just spectacular. Like that, I and I've heard this before that like authentic Chinese food in America is you want to avoid. It's like Chipotle. You know what I mean? It's like eating Chipotle compared to what actual food in China is like. The food in, in Beijing was amazing. They, these guys took me to these little local joints, really spicy, just amazing, amazing. These like crock pot things or whatever. Like it was, <laughs> the food was so great. Now, how would you compare like the, uh, the food to like the, the food in like Tokyo? Well, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like, you know, we get a Chinese food here in America, but it's nothing like what you, you nothing get there, at all. right? It's, it's the, the, well, the, the food in, in Beijing specifically was very, was, you're getting like, I think they call it Szechuan style food or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was, it was much more spicy the, the, the portion sizes I noticed in, in, in Tokyo were a lot smaller mm-hmm. and obviously Japan, cause it's an Island, it's more seafood heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, where you get more duck and beef and stuff like that on a lot of the dishes up there. So very easy for me to be a vegetarian. <laughs> um, but it was, it was, and bigger portions, man, these, the Chinese have these huge meals. Like there's three or four dishes, rice, every, you know, it's like noodles. It's, it's, it was crazy. Um, so Beijing was a really cool experience and um, they're trying to build their scene up a little more. Uh, that was cool. And then went to Shanghai Shanghai is this, it's where I actually watch her on the plane ride back home too. Mm-hmm. Her is shot almost in, in a lot of it in Shanghai. Oh, you, you eliminated your own boycott? Yeah, I eliminated her? my own boycott and watched it. Some time had passed and I could, I could do it. Um, oh, we'll talk about that next episode. Yeah, then. we will. We'll talk about that next episode. Um, it's still all of the things I thought it would be. Um, but, <laughs> but I'm just surprised you saw it. <laughs> I, Shanghai is the density of Manhattan with, but as spread out as LA. Right. It's like 23 million people or more, you know? And, but it's, it's feels more Western. Shanghai has this very unique history. There used to be what they call concessions, which are like districts. There was a French concession and English and, uh, you know, a Danish. And back in the day, those were run by those countries. Right. Mm-hmm. So it has that, like, Shanghai, every, I did three shows at, at, at Kung Fu Comedy. Shanghai was the only place that, and this is run by um, Andy Curtin, an Australian guy, who's got a really cool club there. It's an actual comedy club that you can probably get close to 90-some people in when you pack it in. Tight, intimate room, but really a great space to perform. And they're, and they're a little more, that club is, is fairly established and... um and so there's a scene there, and that had, you know, Chinese comics, a guy from Egypt, uh, you know, there's two uh, female comics I met there um, um, that uh, are both Chinese that perform, uh, Leia Lu, and then she she contacted me about being on a podcast that Harry, his last name is XU, Zhu, I don't know how that's pronounced, but I did their, like, movie podcast in Shanghai, and I did the Kung Fu comedy podcast um, with these two comics. And, and you know, we, we talked movies and stuff. And that was really, really cool. And those episodes drop 
that I'm a guest on, I'll I'll uh, I'll post it and stuff. That was really cool because Shanghai, every show had was like a UN meeting. Like it had people right, from right. every country, which was a cool it's experience. A melting pot. A very much a melting pot. And Shanghai is the capital. It's the center of business in China. Mm-hmm. You know, Hong Kong is is finance and banking. Mm-hmm. Beijing is government. Shanghai is just business. Like any company that has is doing business in a, in China. Any international company has probably got offices there and employees there. Right. Like one show, this woman that worked with this Italian woman, she was there with these three other Italian women. She works for Ferrari and she sells right. Ferraris to Chinese billionaires. <laughs> um, so yeah, Shanghai was really cool. Um, and uh, it To was, drive in the bike lanes? Well, the, <laughs> it didn't have as many bikes as Beijing. Like, okay. It was, it was, at least the, I was, you know, and, and, it, and I went to this cool temple. And, and so there... Um, uh, I, and I met a lot of really interesting comics and people, but, but Leia took me to this film called, uh, Brotherhood of Blades, um, which is a Chinese film. Um, it's Brotherhood of the Blade or Brotherhood Brother, of Brotherhood of Blades of Blades. Um, and it, what's uh, that about? Well, it's its Chinese <laughs> title is uh, Zhu Shun Dao, um, but it was sort of classic. It was a historical drama. I, it was all subtitled. Um, I kind of understood it, the plot, but it was basically like um, these three like highly trained assassins were supposed to go capture some guy, and they were sort of set up, but they were this these these elite soldiers back. I don't know what dynasty it was. Um, but it was, you know, several hundred years ago that it took place. Um, and there was a love triangle. It was really cool to watch. And she took me to this like, um, film center, this kind of older theater, which I like old theaters and this kind of, um, more Chinese neighborhood that was less Western cause, cause Shanghai has a lot of very Western areas to it. Um, and that was just, um, that was really cool. And I met, I met like, uh, a lot of really this this comic storm, um, this guy Drew Joe. Like I'm I'm sorry I'm, I'm blanking on all your names. Sorry. Hmm. Um, uh, this comic Alana Fu was very funny, and it was um, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. And Brother of the Blade. I don't know where you can see this, but I guess if you're in Shanghai, if you know Rick Myers, if you know Rick yeah, Myers, yeah. he can probably get you a copy of it. No, it was interesting, and it had some interesting. You know, it had some cool fight scenes, and they and they do you know they did some wire work. And what was the name of the uh, rom com you saw? The rom com was um, Temporary Family. Temporary Family, which was a Hong Kong romantic comedy. I wonder if uh, Rick could get that one. I think you could probably buy <laughs> yeah, that one. I think. Rick- I think Anyone living in Hong Kong could probably get a uh, family. Probably easier to find an asylum. Probably a black market copy. <laughs> yeah, this, yes, this, these movies are. I was looking for asylum, dude. It's uh, in Japan. SWAT versus Devil. Uh, Sanai and I were looking for it. I was like, Sanai, if you see SWAT versus Devil, you have to get it. I because you go into these these like Asian street markets and oh, they're, yeah, they're yeah. selling you fake Rolexes. And that's where it would definitely like, be. That's, that's, where that's exactly I, I where it would to. be. I kept looking for it, dude. <laughs> the Asylum or SWAT V Devil. Mm-hmm. I was trying to find all of it. She might have to order it on Amazon UK before the, or Amazon J- JP before yes. the festival. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. So um, that was the trip. It was fantastic. And I just, I have to thank, um, you know, everybody, Andy Curtin, uh, everyone at Kung Fu Comedy, Michael Dorsher and everybody at Comedy HK and all the comics I, I listed. Um, and if there's any I forgot, 
um, let's see, Josh Molina, um, you know. Well, sounds like you had a great trip. I had a fantastic yeah. trip. And I think I was talking to a lot of these people, but, you know, when we come back and screen, you know, we're going to screen earbuds in Australia, definitely Sydney, and we're going to screen it in Tokyo. I was like, you know, if we're going to come up to Tokyo, we could definitely go to Shanghai or Hong Kong or maybe even Beijing too, but Shanghai mm-hmm. and Hong Kong for sure. So uh, everyone out there in China, I think we're going to be screening earbuds in probably mm-hmm. late spring, early summer of next year. So sounds buckle. good. And if we do that, <laughs> then maybe we'll do a live podcast recording. Oh, that would be places. fun. So mm-hmm. um, it was, it was really cool. So thank you everybody. Um, you know, Edigato right. and Shay Shay and Umgoya <laughs> to everybody out there. Well, sounds a great trip. Yeah, it was cool. Now, now never go out of the country again a few weeks before a festival when we're trying to deliver a film to post. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. There was many hours where I was not sightseeing because I was in a hotel room. Yeah, like, trying to get your bank to release funds oh. because they saw you were in China and we couldn't get it. Oh, fuck, man. Yeah, I had to pay for the yeah. live video stream and they, they canceled it because my bank was like, what? Why is he paying for it in China? This has to be Yeah, this wrong. is a scam. And I had yeah. to call the bank and be like, no. Oh, God, that was insane. So, well, what? let's see. Um, we have uh, a couple DVDs and Blu-rays coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain America, The Winter Soldier. Yeah. If you, if you miss this theatrically, you have to see this movie. It's yes. fantastic. It's yes. uh, really, really good. It's probably one of my favorite Marvel movies. Um, Brick Mansions. This is the uh, Paul Walker, one of the movies uh-huh. that came out after his uh, right. uh, death. It's, um, it's Paul and his pal, um, take down the mob with kung fu, with kung fu and without shirts. Good. So that's uh, you want to check that take out. Take them down, guys. <laughs> um, and in case Rick is listening, no, it's not kung fu. It's martial arts. Yeah, and it's don't poor worry, martial Rick, arts. Don't yeah. <laughs> um, fed up. This is a documentary about. Oh, um, I forgot to say this. Yes. If you're in Hong Kong, you got to go to the Hong Kong Heritage Museum and see the Bruce Lee exhibit. Oh, cool! It is spectacular, mm-hmm. and. Like, Bruce Lee is Hong Kong, and Hong Kong is Bruce Lee. And that was so cool to see. And they also at, at, they also have a, uh, a Studio Ghibli exhibit there. Cool, very cool. Very cool. But the, the Bruce Lee exhibit, there's an hour and 15-minute documentary that plays that's part of the tour. Oh, neat. That was great. That alone is worth watching. It's interviews with his family. Oh, cool. And his friends. And I... Th- I thought I knew a fair amount about that guy. I learned even more watching that documentary. So if you're in Hong Kong, please, please, please check it out. Check that out. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So, uh, and fed up is the documentary about, uh, it's another kind of food movie about how sugar is in everything and how it's, I wonder why uh, we have an obesity problem in this country. Well, I'll tell you what you travel through Asia, especially Japan, and you don't notice the, as many heavy people. And one of the things I noticed by like day five, I was like, wow. And I was tracking it in my head. I go, I've had almost no sugar. Yeah. We put sugar in everything in this country. Well, that's the problem. There's sugar and stuff. We don't want sugar. It's right. just in everything. It's in yeah. everything. Because I'm sitting there, I'm even just looking at my, my healthy breakfast, granola. Try to find it that doesn't have sugar. No, in there's it. a little bit, even though. In, even, in everything. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? We put jam on. So we have so much. Uh, sugar, dairy, and bread. Yes. And over there, I wasn't... Well, I noticed just from uh, that 
short time in Japan, I had lost weight. Oh, yeah. And, uh, granted, it was a combination of constantly lugging equipment into the rain, moving around uh, yeah, for 90% 12 hours. Humidity, yeah, sure, yeah. there was that. Uh, but, you know, diet-wise, and it too, I wasn't like, I didn't have like cravings for sugars or anything. It was, it was like... Um, it was just a different diet, really. Completely different diet. You're not having all this heavy dairy and you're not having yeah. sugar with, there's sugar. And I've no, just in the, in the, whatever, 24 hours I've been back, I've already noticed how much sugar is in everything. Here. Right. And, uh, so, so fed up, we'll get you even angrier yeah, about get it. Yeah, more pissed off. <laughs> Cause yeah, the, this is the one where they're basically saying the sugar lobby is acting like tobacco did 25 years ago. Pretty much. Yeah. Right. Um, the next movie is God's Pocket. This is uh, the Philip Seymour Hoffman movie. Um, got, I got to see set, this. Set in Philadelphia. I had read the book. Like I had said before, I have not seen the movie yet. But uh, now the book wasn't very good. So I'm curious to see what they did with the movie. The okay. movie was, the book was one of those books where it's just kind of a series of scenes and character mm-hmm. portraits. There was no actual story. So I wonder what they did with the, uh, with the movie. Um, coming out this week. It's actually been a fairly slow couple weeks Summer's for movies over. coming out. Yeah, yeah. We're in, that, we're in that dead zone. We're in that dead zone, zone Between yeah. summer and Oscar. We're in that dead zone that isn't February. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> the two dead zones. There's yeah. the... No Good Deed. This is Idris Elba um, taking a paycheck. Yeah. This movie. Um, now, Dolphin Tale 2, this is an interesting movie. I saw the first one, and it really is um, that formula of like a classic um, family movie. It really is animal in peril, animal gets saved. Based on a true but, yeah, story. Yeah, based on a true story. But the thing that is really interesting and different about this these movies is that the actual dolphin is the star of the movie that actually right. had this story. Right. So you see the dolphin without a tail and them, you know, figuring out how to you know, get it to survive. So this is the sequel. Um, my daughter is already really excited to see this movie uh-huh. because it hits that sweet spot. Uh, uh, the Skeleton Twins. This is an interesting indie movie. I don't know if it's going to be playing near you. Maybe it'll be on VOD. It's uh, Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig who play two siblings who have near-death experiences, but they're estranged siblings. So these near-death experiences... Um, um, create the kind of inciting incident for them to kind of reconcile their relationship and get back together. So kind of a um, dramatic. Yes, it's not. It's not. A, it's kind I'm, of a I'm, comedy drama ish. Yeah, it's it's a I'm dramedy. I'm very excited to see Kristen because I think she has some depth to her. I think so as too. an actress that we just yeah. haven't had a chance to see because her bread and butter has been comedy. Yep. I think Bill Hader too. Yeah. I think uh, I, I, you know I'm, I'm curious to see this movie. And uh, that's it. Wow, that was quite an uh, that was quite an episode. Quite oh an episode. wait, we didn't talk about the podcast festival. Oh shit! But that is coming up in uh, oh my god, like two weeks. Jesus! Wow, we are almost ready for it. <laughs> we are still working on the live streaming. This is going to be really cool, guys. We just want to talk to you about this. Uh, obviously, we'd love it if you came down to the festival. Sure, it's going to be great. Um, in fact, if you come down this year, it's going to be a very special year. You're actually going to see. Sinai and some of the people that are actually going to be there. Vanessa's coming. Vanessa's coming. The people that we talk about, the people that are going to be in the documentary, we're going to be there at the festival this year. And we're going to be doing a lot of filming. Basically, we're wrapping up the film at the uh, podcast festival. So our last week of shooting for earbuds. So, but I want to talk to you guys about, this is kind of really exciting. And the reason it's been 
so difficult to put together is because no one's ever done it before. Um, This live stream for the podcast festival, it's going to be really cheap. It's going to be like 25 bucks, and then we'll probably have a coupon to knock another $5 off that. We'll have a CFN coupon code that'll knock it down to 20. So it'll be like 20 bucks, and you can watch the entire festival. So what you'll do is you'll have a player, and you'll be able to watch it, but then you'll be able to switch channels, and you'll be able to switch in between any of the four rooms to watch whichever podcast you want. And if there's two that are happening at the same time, no problem. Your pass will allow you to look at all the archives for three weeks after the festival, Mm -hmm. so you can even catch the shows that you missed. In fact, some people, uh, I know they said they're going to the festival, but they can't see everything. They're going to buy that Mm -hmm. afterwards to see the things that they missed. Yeah, and all you guys that came out to see all my shows in Hong Kong and China... Uh, you know, most um, probably 99% of you are yeah. not going to be yeah. in LA. Chances are you're not going to make the festival. But mm-hmm. for, you know, $20 US, you can watch all these cool shows. And we're going to do like uh, interviews because all the shows, there's a 30 minute turnaround between each show. Uh, we're going to do some interview stuff with people between them. It's going to be, you know, last year with Daily Motion paid to just stream, I think, 10 or 11 shows. Yeah, yeah. Which was cool. But this, we're going to give you a lot for your money. You're going right. to see... You're going to see the whole festival. You're going to see the whole festival, the panels, mm-hmm. everything. And the only thing you can't see is the stand-up show just because we can't, comedians can't, they don't want to put their right. acts out there, which right. I can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, it's going to be so fun. There's 35 shows. Um there's going to be parties and stuff. It's a lot of parties, a lot of food and drink. This it's hotel be really is, great. is in a cool area where you can mm-hmm. walk to everything. Yep. Um, and I think it's our third year of this festival. It keeps growing and keeps getting better. And I think I'm, I, I was just watching the video that we have on LAPodfest.com to promote right. it. And I was like, Oh, I started to get like, yeah, I'm excited this weekend, you know, in two yeah, weeks yeah. of just that weekend of just all these friends and almost all the fun it's going to be. Um, so, yeah, and we're, I think we're going to do, here's the other thing, you get the live video stream. Our last live show we did in May, the summer movie preview with Will Anderson and Doug Benson, we, we tried something new. We played trailers and talked mm-hmm. about upcoming movies and made fun of some and showed some cool ones. We're going to do that for the festival. And so if you guys get the video stream, we're going to show some trailers of some upcoming movies. Who um, are our guests for the festival? Right now, it's uh, Joey Mack, kid. He's coming back, yes, huh? Yes, he is. Please don't go, girl. So Joey Mack's going to be there, and uh, we'll get one more. Excellent. Yeah. So it'll be uh, it'll be a fun, fun show. And so I, I want to mention that also because... Um, I got a couple emails and I keep forgetting to mention this is uh, the summer movie preview that, you know, Graham was just talking about. It is finally up on iTunes, but then there was a glitch where it was like nine ninety nine. It's, it's, it's corrected now. It's a dollar 99 and it's a really fun episode. And we play the Leonard Malton game and hearing Will Anderson talk about uh, the movies is absolutely hysterical. <laughs> well, the thing that, that would be interesting to listen to it now is see if we were right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You could kind of check out and see where our heads were at when these movies were about to come out. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the things I want to mention, too, is we do have an app um, for comedy film nerds. It's $1.99. You can get it for um, iOS. That's all the Apple devices. But also you can get it for Android. But 
People are emailing saying, well, you say we can get it for Android, but I can never find it. It's only in one place for Android. It's at the Amazon store. Uh, so that's okay. where you have to go to get okay. the Android um, app. And then the one great thing about the app, too, is you get the bonus content. We record a little bit of bonus content every uh, episode. And a PDF. And a PDF of the show. And also you get the back catalog. You can get all of them. Cool. So that's for the, uh, for the app. All right. I think that's everything. That's our episode, you guys. Um, I'm exhausted. I feel like I just went to China for two and a half weeks. <laughs> I'm so tired. Um, all right, guys. Thank you so much. And thank you to everybody uh, on this. The, my first ever Asian tour was so, so cool. All the comedians who showed me around and everything, man. Like eating dumplings on the Chinese, on the Great Wall of China and seeing movies. And Do they have a stand on the Great Wall of China? No, we brought them. Nigel yeah. brought them up. <laughs> It was cool. Um, and there was a woman selling like Snickers and <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> this is crazy. Uh, yes. Thank you guys so much. Uh, I will be back. We will be back with earbuds, uh, in the spring or summer to Asia. Thank you to Kira Soltanovich for not showing up this week. <laughs> we'll see you in two weeks. We'll see you in two weeks. And um, that's our show. My name is Graham Elwood. And I'm Chris Mancini. And as always, remember, Han, Han shot, shot first. first. Mm, dumplings. <laughs> <laughs> they were really good. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>